If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And as always, my beautiful co-host, the wonderful, great, intelligent, talented Mr. Keep it coming. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Len. Thank big you, applause. Len. Big applause. Right. Thank you. So I'm excited. <laughs> we have great guests with us today. We're really grateful to have Bill and Jeff levers of beer bros so well we're, we're very happy to be here we appreciate the invite thank you yeah, very much. thanks so is it beard bros or beard brothers i'll let jeff can it, answer that one it, it, it's funny you asked that one because we do get that one confused a lot as well it is beard bros yeah bros okay even though John's we are queen. real life brothers yeah right right it, it actually started out as beard bros farms and got shortened Right. So okay. that's, we were cultivators first. So it was always the beer bros. Yeah. Fun. I definitely want to talk about that stuff yeah. too. First of all, you guys are PA guys, right? You're from Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Born and raised. What part of Pennsylvania? Uh, Central and Eastern. Uh, I grew up mostly in state college. Jeff grew up mostly in the East and Allentown area. Okay. Yeah. I'm a Philly guy. So that's why. Okay. Uh, nice. Uh, is that where mayor then, of Easttown is from? Have you guys been watching I mean? that mayor of Easttown? Have you guys not been watching this show? That takes place in central Pennsylvania. No, no, no. I saw a trailer for it, but I have not watched it. <laughs> I don't know if yet. East Town is a real place. Is there an East Town? Oh, Pens- e- oh that's the name of the show, Mayor East of East Town. Yeah, it's uh, Kate Winslet plays like a tough talking cop, and it's a it's a murder oh, mystery. Oh, anyway, it's an HBO thought, show. Yeah, it's an HBO show. I think show. I think that's I different. That's East Town. East this Town. is Easton, like the baseball bats. Oh, yeah. Easton, yeah, Easton. Allentown. Easton, yeah, I oh, said Easton, Easton yeah. Allentown, and it probably sounded like Easttown. Okay, <laughs> no, Easton, yeah, <laughs> Allentown, yeah, yeah. And is Easton where they make the famous baseball bats that I had all my life? I don't. I, I think that's actually Easton, Maryland. Yo, there's okay. several different states within Easton, and I think he's right. I think it's Easton, Maryland. All right, right. damn it. Easton's all right, claim to fame is the uh, Crayola factory. They make Crayolas uh, in Easton. All right, so all I right. have, so I have a little story. My dad used to be an engineer, and he made the first robot arm for the Crayola factory that actually grabs those crayons and sharpens them, puts them in it. He designed that. So that's super that his, cool. Yeah. That was his, uh, I always did he make the that. claw. The did he make, did he invent the claw that goes into, you know, the claw, which nobody claw? knows any of my references today. I'm just going <laughs> to no, no, keep we, saying things, the, you know, the thing. And everybody's going to like, what the fuck is this going to Yes. Be? The claw. Yeah. The claw that you I learned. Do, they have I learned not never to deny an improv. It's a yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course I know the claw. You like the toy claw? Yeah, like the toy one? claw, you know, the claw, the claw, you know, yeah, you in mean, like a Toy you Story. You the one in the video game. Yes, in uh, Toy claw. Story, the video thing that comes in, he didn't invent the claw? No. 
Yes. Okay. Yes, he, he did. Just sent a reply. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take credit You'd for everything. You'd be super rich he if you invented that shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's not super rich. He didn't invent anything. <laughs> he worked for a company and he made the thing. So anyway, crayons. All right. So we started talking about cultivation, right? So I'm super curious about you guys started originally as cannabis guys, right? Like you were cultivating. And then I remember us talking at one of the events and we were we were doing some extracurricular activities. So my memory is a little bit fuzzy. I remember you guys ran into some interesting roadblocks and got screwed over and all this other stuff. So maybe you can tell our audience a little bit about that, how you started with the, the cultivation and cannabis side, and then we can go over into your media empire. We moved initially from Florida out West in the early teens with a, a quick stopover for a year in Colorado, did cultivate there as well. Um, moved on to California in 2012, 2013, and we're operating under Prop 215 as a, as a nonprofit collective, uh, doing uh, basically being able to grow a certain number of plants for each person you got as a patient of your collective, um, following that, that caregiver style model. So we, we did that for a while. And when Prop 19 didn't pass in 2012 is when we realized we needed to actually create a brand behind what we were doing. We were at that time, you know, just Bill and Jeff as individual cultivators growing small amounts, taking them to dispensaries and being able to sell that way. Uh, if Prop 19 had passed in California, we, we would have been swallowed up by, by somebody else with a license. Uh, and that's when we literally put our faces to the brand and became Beer Bros Farms. Pat took that from 2013 until roughly 2018 when Prop 64 was passing in California. In 2016, we actually got, uh, sorry, late 2015, early 2016, we actually got raided here in Los Angeles when we were growing legally underneath a, a Prop 215 dispensary. Um, that's what made us eligible for social equity in, in LA. But that comes with a lot of pitfalls as well. They, they set that up to help people, but without a real support system and infrastructure behind it. Uh, so it leads you into scenarios and, and deals that might not be as advantageous for you as you thought. And we learned the art of the pivot pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, part, part of our coming around was that we, we couldn't even continue to cultivate. We had been a legal nonprofit in California from, I believe, 213 on. And on January 1st of 2018, we became outlaws again, as far as cultivation was concerned, because we weren't able to secure a license, us and a lot of other people. So that was one of our pitfalls was just even trying to make the transition to the legal market. Wow. So explain to me, because you had a run in with the law, because you were operating compliantly, as I, I have a very similar experience in the in my dispensaries, this is a, I think I now remember what we talked about. Getting back into it, you also had the ability to to go into cultivation under somebody else's license, and then you had social equity, which I think our audience may not understand how social equity works in Los Angeles. Because you you had a run-in with the law, you were eligible to receive that uh, social equity, but would, did, did that mean you were eligible to receive a license? You were first in line? Like, How does that work? Um, the, the, the way social equity works in Los Angeles is you had to have been, at first it was just convicted and they didn't have a lot of people come forward because if you were convicted nine times out of 10, you were ruined. Right. They took all your money. They probably took your, your possessions, your property, and they left you. Um, so you probably, there wasn't that many people that could step forward that were convicted when they changed it to charged or convicted. We became eligible because we beat our charges because we were completely legal statewide. So 
a couple weeks before the deadline came in, we qualified as people who, like you said, were, were doing compliant business. We were paying the board of equalization through the yep. 215 era. We had a compliant business at the time and you had to either live in a proper zip in a certain zip code of the city, or you had to be a lower income. Mm-hmm. We ended up qualifying for the lower income part because they had ruined us at the end of 2015. And it took us three years to even get back to some semblance of normalcy after they came in and took everything from us. So we qualified on those grounds that we were doing correct business in California, um, had a charge, a cannabis, nonviolent, only cannabis charge. And then we qualified. And what we had to do is we had to have a partner. So they, LA did is kind of like an incubator to where you had somebody who didn't have the same issues you had, but Mm -hmm. they had capital in order to help support you. You were then paired with those people so that somebody with a larger influence could come in and help you with a smaller influence to navigate the waters. So because you had this a way to be able to leverage your misfortune, I guess, in a, and then you can partner with somebody uh, who can maybe leverage that for uh, their own purposes. Uh, did you get, have any run-ins with anybody who was trying to take advantage of uh, that opportunity? No, no, we've been very fortunate. Our, our partner has been very good to us. They've done everything that was required of them and then some. So we got very lucky, but we've heard some really horror stories about people that got in and, and, and their sponsors didn't have the spirit of the social equity at heart. They were just clawing their way in. Basically what it did is by partnering with a social equity uh, applicant like ourselves, it allowed somebody who could not operate in Los Angeles the ability to do so because right. they were attached to us. Exactly. Uh, social that, equity what, applicant. Yeah. You, you answered the question I was trying to ask and I didn't get it out correctly. So yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. What was the impetus, the, the kind of idea, the seed for starting to build the media empire, as I, as I mentioned before, but I, I just find it fascinating because I don't, I don't want this to come off in, in the wrong way. It's not like you guys are out there as, uh, you know, John is the editor-in-chief or green entrepreneur. Like you're not reporting on stuff, you're aggregating stuff. And it's it's really interesting how from doing that, it sort of took off. So how, yeah. how, what was this, what was the seed for that? Well, the, this, the seed was us just seeking our own knowledge and trying to wade through the plethora of bad press, bad articles, bad reporting out there. I think that the the reason it took off so well for us is because we have a unique perspective from within the industry. A lot of people write about the industry, but they haven't been in it or lived in it. They just have connections to it, which is fine as well, but it just gives us a unique perspective. It came on for us because we were finding articles and information trying to get licensed from basically 16 on. And then we realized that a lot of our, our contemporaries and our peers didn't have the same information we did or the same knowledge. So we just started putting it up on our, on our social media and it really, really became energizing the other people. They didn't have to go read through 50 articles. We did that. We Mm -hmm. looked at 50 articles and picked probably two to four that were relevant without repeating themselves. So it really just grew organically. And then in 2018, we started doing our own. We started doing anywhere from one to three of our own original articles each week to complement the aggregation. Well, it's perfect for my ADD because I don't, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to study, but I love to learn. So for me to click through a couple of things like, oh, 
All right, I got the gist of it. It's perfect, like little snippets of uh, of, uh, of information, and then you add that to your comment section. So you're just going through and reading that. I, I love the format that you guys are presenting. Well, we appreciate that very much, and we try to extend the ease of that out to our Friday session newsletter as well. So the people that aren't on social media all the time get one email from us a week that recaps all of the relevant stories that people like yourself are seeing on our social media each day, making it even easier. So, so is the future to kind of build your your brand from a media standpoint and then into uh, having some fire flower and then uh, using that platform to market it? Absolutely. That That's, we got into the media side out of necessity because the cultivation, we kind of foresaw it being taken away from us right. and we wanted to be able to stay relevant with people. But yeah, that's the whole thing. We We feel like if people trust us for media, we then have an obligation to put out quality products that they can trust as well. So yes, we are eventually going to pair those together to where we can promote ourselves, but also not only ourselves, but the people that we're working with along the way. Yep, they'll just work hand in hand to accelerate both. How long have you guys been growing your beards? It's a good story. It's a good question. Uh, and it's a good story. Um, the whole beard bros thing came literally organically as well. Um, we had moved from Florida to Colorado and we had the classic Florida chin strap beards or a little tiny tight goatee mm-hmm. and, you know, nothing, you know, it's hot. So we didn't have big beards. <laughs> um, when we got to Colorado, we moved into a little town called Netherland and we had some friends there, but a lot of the people didn't know us. And apparently we look like feds, which is hilarious to us right now. So everybody was talking about, oh, look, the feds are coming up in here and they're just coming up in here like that. Like there they are. So we're like, we need to change our look. Um, and we looked around Colorado and Netherland in particular, and everybody had a beard. So we said, hey, let's just stop shaving. Um, we spent about a year there. The beards grew out. Uh, we came to California because Colorado changed their laws and we couldn't cultivate there uh, the way we had wanted to. Um, so when we came to LA in 2011, the beard thing wasn't a big thing back then. I mean, think about it. A decade ago, beards have become all in vogue now. You know, everybody oh, has yeah. a beard now. They weren't a decade ago. So it actually stood us apart. So yeah. that is where beard bros came from because in LA, we were one of the few people that had large beards and, and actually, you know, sported them, so to speak. It was probably, I would say about 14 or 15 that the, all the beard oils and the beard, everything yeah. came out. We just happened to be a few years ahead of it, luckily. Yeah, you I, t- tapped into the hipster culture before it became. Yeah, yeah. before Justin Turner, just, you know, decided to wear one. And by the way, can I let the record show that I'm the only person in this interview without a beard? <laughs> you, you definitely need to grow a beard. I mean, I have, I have, a, that's funny. <laughs> I have one of those Florida beards. I think the way Bill is just. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought you were good. a fed. I, I thought you were a fed. Similar to it, yes. You look but, like a fed yeah. to me. What's well, a fed? I what is it? Do I look like a fed? I mean, I'm trying to. You're, fed, you're a fed, especially with my black hat. <laughs> I definitely look like a fed. Yeah. No, I used to be. So when I sell my dispensaries, I don't think I had a beard. I, oh, I, I remember what I had. I had the uh, pitbull look. So everybody thought I looked like pitbull. It was just like a little bit of the chin and, and mustache kind of looking thing. So uh, they were, thought I looked like pitbull, but they used to call me suit because I didn't wear a suit. But because I was, I didn't fit in like uh, to everybody else. It looked like a suit. suit. The guy from Entourage, if you yeah. remember, E, they yeah. called him Suit as his nickname. So that's what they used to call me too. So I didn't get the Fed, but I'm like, that's the suit. He's the business guy. I'm like, where do you see that? Oh, you know, I look a certain way. I get it. it makes sense. 
I thought it was Amish influences. You guys are Pennsylvania. I thought maybe. Well, I, I was going to joke that that is always what I get about mine. It's just really that I can't grow in the full mustache on the side. So yeah. that's why I always shave this. But I'm proud to pay homage to the uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch and the Pennsylvania Amish. Yeah, our, we have relatives that are Pennsylvania Dutch, which is what which is what a lot of Amish. It's a kind of an Amish spinoff. Pennsylvania Dutch is not quite Amish, but there's a lot of them in Pennsylvania. Right, right. But no, we, we still have relatives that live in Amish country. I love yeah. some shoe fly pie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, from Philadelphia, the whoopie oh, pie. Oh, yeah, whoopie of course. Whoop, the, yeah, they would even was, sell those in New York, like in the farmer's markets. Yeah, they awesome. I love it. Yeah. Well, they So they used to have a farmer's market every weekend. And the Pennsylvania Dutch, they ride their buggies from Lancaster, yep. PA, and yep. they take out, uh, you know, all that stuff, the the pies, the chicken, all that stuff. It's great. The unbelievable woodworking that they used to do. Yeah, oh, they're, they're really a pretty phenomenal people. Yeah. Yeah. I, the only reason I'm, I'm don't have eye contact the hundred percent because they're texting me, your driver will, you're, uh, <laughs> you're delivering your order soon. So okay, really good service. I, uh, if your driver has a beard, you got to put him on the thing. <laughs> I got to get him on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Come on. No, it's, it's this whole thing. I get to wear a mask and me it's contactless. So I got to make sure that, you know, we're safe and, and careful and have my cash. But you know, before COVID we, we, nobody talked about this stuff before COVID. This amazing delivery, delivery where you just leave it on the porch or you drive up and they oh, yeah. bring it to your car. It's unbelievable. I mean, People cannabis are... is being sold in a whole different way now. It's pretty wild. It's amazing to hear how like dispensaries when, you know, cannabis was uh, an essential in California and dispensaries were like, man, we're just delivering nonstop. Like then you have to have a delivery license. Like we can all deliver. So it's essential delivery. I can deliver because there have been delivery services. The curbside pickup to me and parking lot pickup yeah. to me is the crazy thing. As a dispensary owner, I'm sure you can't imagine that having your staff constantly walking, walking out, out to the sidewalk right. with product and walking back in with the cash. Dude, it's so crazy. Like where we came from to where we are today. And you guys said it right. It's like, uh, you know, my dispensaries were 2009, 10 in, in, in that era. So, you know, all the windows are blacked out. You can't see anything. Nobody goes in and out. You know, you got to be really careful. All this stuff is like, oh my God, you walk into some of these shops and it's, it's free and open. Yeah, it's glass. They have glass storefronts. Now you can actually see the people shopping inside. Yeah. It's, it's not just bars and gates and, you know, expanded metal. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing uh, where we come, uh, where we came from, where we are today. So what's the future for beer bros? Where are you guys going and what's the trajectory since 2012, when 19 didn't pass, we've always wanted to build our own brand. So we're just still on that same thing. Literally 13 till now, the same focus is to make a trusted, transparent brand, whether that stays a California regional brand or whether it becomes a nationwide or a worldwide brand. That, that, that's our goal. Our goal is to be able to bring quality products that people can trust um, to patients. I was going to say the reality, we'll just hit on it. It was, it started out as a, a product brand, but with the media presence now, it's actually both a product and a service brand. So what we, what was perceived as a weakness, not being able to continue our cultivation, we were able to pivot over into a strength. And I think now we have more opportunity to us and, and coming to us and, and more value that we bring to anybody that we're going to work with in the future. So explain that, like, how do you envision that working? Because you already have a built-in audience and a platform, so other brands can tap into that. Is that what you mean? Yes, we would. We would like to expand the media. There's a lot of stuff now that we've gone into it. I mean, neither one of us has any type of formal media training. It just came was born out of necessity. Um, so no, as the media is progressing, we're realizing 
I mean, quite honestly, the media could be larger for us than product. You know, it, sure. it, there's no barriers. We That's the other thing we realized too in 2018. There's no state barrier for our media. Our media goes wherever. We yeah. don't have to worry about just the 40 million people in, in California. We can right. talk to the 30 million people in Texas and the 20 million people in Pennsylvania and Florida. And we can, we talk to people in Europe. So, I mean, it's for us, it's just become uh, to continue to build a trusted brand, whether it's media or product is really our goal. Are you guys the media? Do you have any of their writers that work for you or you guys do all the writing yourselves? We do not do all the writing ourselves. We do a lot of the idea aggregation and some of the writing. We have a, a media manager that's been working with us for years, uh, Jack. Is, is a friend of ours who's been working with us for three plus years, um, who's been a tremendous, tremendous help on what Beer Bros as Beer Bros Media has become today. A lot of that is due in part to Jack. That's awesome. But it's, it's us and Jack. And we have some contributors. Um, we I wish I could tell you it was 10 people that were typing out Busy stories all day room. long, but that's not the case. Well, yeah, unfortunately, that's just not the model anymore. I, as somebody who comes from a media background and works in media, yeah, I mean, well, the days of us you know, having newsrooms and that kind of thing. Uh, What we realized is between our, our, our presence and kind of our ability to vet and aggregate, we've been able to partner with some of the right people on the content creation side. Um, If you follow our social media closely, you'll see, we just started a series called breeding the culture. Uh, It was actually created by a friend of ours named Trevor. He's been doing research for the last probably good year or more uh, on all the original breeders of all the strains and, and how that progression has has gone from generation to generation. So we started telling that story, telling him telling that story, and we started putting that out to the masses from the beginning chronologically. So if you're somebody that's either new to cannabis and, and has no idea where the strain you're smoking on came from, or even if you're an advanced head in, in the space, you can get some extra knowledge from it. We've also started doing some 420 law articles and some things like that. So just trying to expand our presence in it while we have a trusted voice. Yeah. yeah. And again, we feel like our, our endeavors into the industry gives us a unique perspective yeah. on what stories are, are relevant to the people who are in the industry. So sure. we're, we're still, we have a lot of good ideas and a lot of stuff we'd love to do. And part of it is, is culture preservation. Like we don't want these big multi-state operators to just gloss over the people that brought cannabis for all of us. There's people that are still in jail. There's people that have done jail time and since passed away, there's people that have passed away. And if we don't keep talking about it, it gets glossed over by multi-state operators and their shiny sale that day. Mm-hmm. And people don't actually know where and, and what happened to get to this point. So we like to make sure that's relevant as well. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that because with me, what I've been seeing is I go into rooms Well, now with COVID, it's uh, Zoom, but you talk to people about they're investing in cannabis and investing millions and millions and millions you say, what's your experience? I, I never, I never consumed. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, how can you, how can you have the relationship with the plant if you didn't consume? And you have to, and if that's the case, being open to that and saying that's fine, whatever. Not everybody has to consume, but at least acknowledge the shoulders of the people that you're standing on to get where you are right now, because you, that yeah. we, I, I'm not even saying me. Like there's, there's a bunch of people have been doing this for 20, 30, 40 40 years. years, Yeah. Yeah. Who've been, who've been, as you guys said, locked up, uh, harassed, you know, all those different things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people that were doing it when the risk was way greater than the reward. Well, shit. Yeah, exactly. It's flipped the other way now and now everybody wants in on it. Exactly. But, but but you know, the great leveler to me and as somebody who follows the industry and, 
is that usually the people who don't have the passion for the plant or the passion for cannabis and the business don't succeed in this business. Like it really definitely levels the playing field. I think it's a big ingredient of the people who are successful in this industry. <clears throat> it is well, job. I mean, there are some, but, uh, look, there are some exceptions and a, and a lot of like investment bankers are getting in the space. That's what I'm saying. That's, it depends how you define success. I mean, if, if they're in, an, if they're in to make money and take a company public and cash out, you know, I see a lot of that going on, right. uh, even with these multi-state operators are coming in with a, a shitload of money, but it, and which is fine. But at, at the very least acknowledge where you are here for a reason. Because people took a yeah. tremendous amount of risk, right. and uh, you know, and that, and I'm glad you guys brought that up because I think that's really, really well, important the, to maintain yeah. the culture. Those stories have to be told. People have to realize that there's people who lost their freedom for a lot, still losing their freedom for a long time. I don't have a problem with people who do not consume, mm -hmm. as long as they still have a passion for the healing power of the plant, and then they put people in place around them that give them the correct counsel that they should have. Right because they don't have that personal experience. So the cons consumption part to me, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm an old head. So I'm a little, you know, back in the day, if somebody didn't smoke, you must be a cop. Bill, I was <laughs> gonna say, man, that's a bunch of bullshit, man. We want people to smoke and we wanna give people, we wanna, like one of my things is, what do you mean? That's why I started the company. I'm like, well, I have an adverse effect. Let's, let's swab you, let's find you what works because I can guarantee you, I will find you something that works for you. Right. So even if you had a bad experience before. Well, I do agree with you. I guess I should say, I don't immediately- <laughs> It's not a disqualifier. Yeah, I don't disqualify yeah, no, I know. I'm assuming, but I will watch them a little closer. There you go, exactly. <laughs> The, the feds <laughs> guys uh we we have uh our guests we ask them several questions about uh their cannabis use etc so i'm gonna ask those questions of you guys uh be really prepared because it takes a lot of brain power so very very difficult all right so like think calculus and all that i don't know what yeah. other advanced math there is so it's the trigonometry kind of, all right yeah there we go trigonometry i, I failed all that stuff so <laughs> me too don't tell anybody okay <laughs> All right, so the first guy, John. I stopped. The All right, this is the, the key. All right. Thank you. Ready to go. All right, we're ready. Okay, please describe your first experience with cannabis. <laughs> Mine was we, I was spending the evening at a friend's house. His parents were professors at Penn State. He had an older brother that was going to, to a college at Penn State. And um, we took weed either from the from my friend's brother or his parents. I don't remember which one, but that was my first experience with cannabis was, uh, was in state college. I was about 13 years old and we lifted it off of uh, relatives of my friend. <laughs> was it a good experience? Did you get high yeah. or? Yeah. I uh, know. I didn't, you know, honestly, I didn't know what high was. Right. I smoked it and probably got high, but didn't know. Uh, if I remember right, we were, we were drinking as well too. And at 13, I probably couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> right. But so it wasn't, it wasn't a bad experience. Though. No, it's not a bad experience. Well, and uh, <laughs> as I'm six years younger than Bill, you can imagine where my influence <laughs> for my first smoking experience. Came from. Uh, but the story of it is a little interesting as well. Uh, I was actually being picked up at 13 from my YMCA middle school basketball practice uh -huh. uh, by Bill and one of his friends in his car. And of course they were smoking and, I asked and uh, he obliged. Right. Uh, mine was, was a definite pleasant experience because after an hour and a half or two hours of basketball practice, even at 13, I was pretty tired. So uh, I don't know that I knew it was a high feeling. I knew I felt a lot better than I did five or 10 minutes prior to that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So the, the point being is that you guys both had 
a positive experience your first time, which led you to continue to consume. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So John and I are big music guys. So I have, I'm going to try to ask a question differently than I do before you guys will be. I think the second people that I asked this question because the other person music wasn't really a thing for them. So uh, do you guys remember your first concert and your last concert that you attended? Hmm. I'm going to say I grew up, I was young living in Pennsylvania and the punk hardcore punk rock scene was big yeah. in the mid eighties. Oh guys, I need to apologize. Somebody's in my front door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's hold that thought. No problem. We'll they can, they can tell me. Yes. I mean, uh, John, please continue on without me. Yeah. Should we pause. I can tell you, John. I'll be, I'll um, be right back. All right, you can tell Len's going and getting some weed. So I want to get his weed. It's cool. All um, right, so you you went so eighty five. That the punk scene was was happening. Yeah, probably like 1984, 1985. I probably went to see a Circle Jerk concert or Black Flag or yep. Violent Femmes or something like that. I definitely know I was certainly going to Metallica concerts when their first albums came out in the mid eighties as well. So it would have been either a Metallica concert or some kind of punk hardcore uh gosh the last concert i went to was it in your neighborhood or did you have to go to like philly to see something like that uh no i was let me see i was seeing those in allentown, allentown. in bethlehem and and um matter of fact yeah airport music hall for anybody that's from pennsylvania will know where that is or where it used to be um and then in downtown allentown had a bunch of uh basements that were bars and the punk scene back then was really just off the chain like it was big yeah you know a lot of people into it especially in pennsylvania and the urban areas um, skateboarding was was becoming something. So it was a lot of a lot of punk rock and skateboarding. Um, Those were the days. They were the days. They were a lot simpler days. <laughs> I know. Like where was I going to go skate at, and what what concert was I going to that night? They probably cost you like four dollars and fifty cents to get into. I don't remember my last most recent concert. COVID has my brain in a fog, to be honest with you. I know. Obviously, it was pre-COVID was the last concert. I know. I, I honestly can't remember. I'm going to let Jeff talk about his. Yeah, what was your first concert, Jeff? I, I'm I'm not sure I can remember the exact first one. Mine were early '90s in in Jacksonville, Florida, at a Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Then I can remember going to a couple of different Van Halen shows. One with uh, Soundgarden as the opener, nice. and one with Stone Temple Pilots as the Woo. opener. And I actually was in early, like ninth or tenth grade, I think. So I was able to dip out of high school and get down there. They were general admission. So I was able to get in front front row or in the first couple of rows for that. So seeing Stone Temple when they first came out and were really jamming was it was a couple of good shows. Another one I do remember was going with uh, Bill and his wife at the time to was it ZZ Top ACDC I think or ACDC and I actually we had smoked on the way to it and I <laughs> forgot I had a pipe in my pocket and got frisked <laughs> by security and got oh, and got kicked out of the show and had to go drive around Jacksonville for like 2 hours while Bill and his wife went to the show. Dude, isn't that ridiculous though? Like, think about it, how legal it is. And you got kicked out, couldn't go to the show because you had a bowl. Like nobody fucking smokes at a, at a concert. It was also, you missed this part of it. I was also, I think like 15, maybe yeah. 16 at the time. Still, it's so ridiculous. It was probably more right? the underage than it really was the pipe part. <laughs> Len, are you going to do an unboxing of your, um, should I do that? What do you, yeah, what let's I see what you got. What'd you, I want to see what, what you ordered. All right. The first thing I got is a Maven apple frosting nice i love maven genetics yeah, we know the guys at maven they're good yeah. guys yeah they do a great job so and I, and i'll tell you what just if any brands are listening or watching this so sponsored this by. is a really interesting thing that that maven does and i 
commend them for this. They put a little card inside that talks about the terpene profile of each uh, cultivar that they actually have. Uh, so the, whatever the chemical variety is, they tell you what the terpenes are. They tell you how much. So it's myrcene, pinene, and beta caryophyllin. They're dominant in this. So it's a really nice blend of uh, uh, right in the middle, uh, probably not too much, uh, you know, sativa, not too much indica, uh, right in the middle. So that's so, that's sounds like an OG. What strain was it with those uh, herbs? Yeah, it's it's called apple frosting. Okay. But you're probably right. It looks like an OG cross yeah. uh, to me. You're so. Obviously, these names don't mean anything. And for people that actually know, no. Big, uh, big proponents of, of educating people beyond just THC percentage. Yeah, we and we love that about Maven, too. They're the only people I've seen that do that, that card exactly. with the Terps. Because you're not required to give the Terps. They actually uh, spend the extra time and the extra money to print that to give it to the patients. And that's, that's commendable. And one of the things that I want to commend you guys, too, and, and talk about this, people need to understand about this bullshit with strain names and understand that cannabis is a personal experience. It's about the cannabinoids, all of them, the terpene profiles, how they interact with your genetics in order to have an experience. So all these names, like we need to do a better job in educating. So. Yeah, I mean, I've had it explained to me uh, in a very simple way by a friend of mine. She said that THC is nothing more than the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. And the terpenes are what, and the other cannabinoids are what steer your experience. Uh, that's a, it's really a great way of explaining it to people. All right. Let's see what else I got. I have King's oh, Garden. Garden. Yeah. Another good choice. Really good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I cannot. Tell. They are growing a whole bunch of fire out in the desert. Absolutely. And, and I think this. they just got a new facility. They just put up a, they're doing another 90,000 square foot facility. That's like two acres. It's pretty wild. So this is called. 33 bananas. I do not see a terpene profile in there, but I'm sure I ordered a one that has a lot of beta caryophyllin in it. That's uh, uh, one of my favorites. And, this episode uh, is brought got, to you by King's Garden. Sounds like it's got probably a, a gelato 33 cross. Absolutely. Yeah. We should do a, a segment, name your name your strain. <laughs> we you guys, should, you, man. You, you guys give, I, it's I, like name it that tune. You just give them a little bit of information. Like that sounds like a... <laughs> Yeah, but John, here's here's the thing. If if you know anything about cultivation, just because you have the the profile, you can probably guess which crosses they well, are. I can't. So but you guys be, can because you guys are OGs. Well, well, it'll be it'll be so if you name if you name that strain, it may be like you know Bill and I can say, all right, this is a cross between you know this uh, OG and and this uh, whatever it is. But but you know some people can say, hey. I like the name Alaskan Thunder fucking let's just make it that name. It has nothing to do with any cross. I just Anything like at all. that name. No, and, and even well, if the even if the name were the same, like you were explaining, it's a personal experience on the consumer side. It is on the cultivator side as well. Different sure. nutrients, different environments, different methods. The same strain will produce different profiles. Oh, yeah. And then you also have genetic drift, even within your culture. And the way you cure it uh, changes everything. So you guys are. Literally, you can grow the same strain in the same room and it won't be the same identical 100%. it'll be similar 100%. not identical yeah. right so there was a two for one deal on something called permanent holiday oh nice so i i picked up does it say uh, where it was cultivated is it exotic flavors i mean it doesn't say that i got the c of a i checked the c of a's first it's called the mac 10 it's a lower uh, uh, here's THC. my pot delivery person hold on they're coming in <laughs> <laughs> oh, come here pot delivery per- oh Wow, they're 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 really young these days. <laughs> they're really- Did you give them a tip? No tip. <laughs> no tip. No. Well, the reason we ask you that is our friends um, from it's up, they're up in Honeydew, right? Yep, Honeydew, Honeydew, Honeydew Valley. Valley. Honeydew Valley called mm-hmm. Exotic Flavors, 
a lot of their product has gone to the company you just mentioned and uh, Shotwell's brand Midzotics. So if it is from our friends at Exotic Flavors, it's very good product, very good quality. And you'll, you'll, you'll certainly like it. I'll I'll let you know. I like the packaging. And I think I got a freebie because I didn't order this, but I I think I got a gram, which I've never gotten a freebie before. Uh, Should I mention who who delivered it? Yeah. All right. So it's Flower Co. Nice. I'm a a member of Flower Co. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never approached us. I know those guys. Great, great service. I highly recommend it. They're not a sponsor or anything like that, but yeah. they can be. They should be. Want. Hey, Flower Co. <laughs> they should be. Yeah. Now, they should be. That, uh, who is that from? Is it Cure is Company? It, it looks like. Who's the, uh, the, the grand this from? Is, this is Cure from Cure Flower. Okay. And it's called West Coast Cure. Oh, it's from West Coast Cure. Okay. West, West Coast Cure. Yeah, I got you. Oh, WCC. Yeah. I got yeah, it. West I know Coast who Cure. it is. Uh, oh, Jared. It's 32.4% THC. That's yeah. what it says. Why don't, Jared's you, been why don't you light one of those up and let's continue the rest of the? It's it's a Carol B, instead of a Cardi B. I have no idea what that is. Carol B. <laughs> That's what we're saying. Yeah. That's one of those the strain names. The funny part about it is, is like you get strain names changes so often for so many things. Like somebody will grow something and then they have a falling out with somebody, and all of a sudden that plant's never the same name again. Yep. Um, they could exactly. not just want to have. It could be the same company trying to sell it as two different strains. So they name half the package, one name and yep. half the package, another name. And that's, yep. that's where with us, it comes from transparency. Everything we've ever done. We always let people know what seed company it came from, who may have given it to us. We, I feel like that's something that's important. You want people to know the chain of custody on that strain and where it came from and how you don't want to just come up with, I have Starfighter. You'll love it. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. What is it? No, you- Hundred <laughs> percent agree. Yeah, what's what's the genetics on that? Okay, so next question is, uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? Well, this will go back, and this is this is interesting with what you do as well, where everything is personal. I started smoking at a young age, like we talked about. I didn't realize at the time, but what cannabis did was help me slow down. It helped me focus. I was naturally a hyperactive child. If I would have been born later, I probably would have been a prime candidate for Ritalin or some shit like that. Luckily, I wasn't. So for me, cannabis has allowed me to slow down and focus, uh, make better decisions. I know this goes against everything that you've ever been told from the 80s on, but it's right. true. So for me, cannabis has been a daily personal relationship to where it just, it helps me slow down and function better. I'd, I'd echo that as well. A little bit of different. Mine's always been for, for anxiety, social anxiety, large crowd situations, things like that, that I'm just usually not very comfortable in. Um, finding out very early on in, in teenage and college years that that cannabis was the better alternative when you're out in the bars and the clubs. It's just become much more socially acceptable to do so in, in social situations at this point. Yeah, that, that, that was what was the impetus for our move west in, in the late our, our late aughts and early teens was, right. was wanting to live that type of a holistic lifestyle. And, and it's been great to see in the past decade the cannabis side open up and now even the psychedelic psilocybin side open yep. up. And people just becoming more open to self-care rather yeah. than pharmaceuticals can save the world. Yeah, we, we were Cali sober before Cali sober was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so glad you said that. And Jeff, just to point out, like some people, 
actually get a lot of anxiety when they consume cannabis. And so it is definitely a personal experience. You know, for you, it's an anti-anxiety. For some people, it actually exacerbates anxiety. So that's-, that's And, really and it definitely depends on strain. I, I, I have found, I haven't been able to narrow down the, the, the exact terpene that causes me yeah. the anxiety side of things, but but I've definitely noticed that on, on certain strains that I smoke, I immediately right. can tell, nope, don't need to do any more of that. Need to stay away from that mm-hmm. from in the future. Jeff, I heard there was a something out there. There's a test, I think. I think it's called EndoDNA. If you actually do your DNA test, it can tell you which terpene profiles and cannabinoids can actually exacerbate that. Interesting. Ever, yeah, it's a, that's. I, you I had not that. heard about that. I was going to say, don't, that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's our company. Yeah, I thought it was. I was plug. I was plugging my company. Well, yeah. I love it. Well, you, you can find. Yeah, let's find out what terpene listen, is. Even okay. somebody like us, it's consumed for thirty years. Hasn't tried it. We don't know. We just do trial and error. I think I've just been blessed that there are some strains that I don't particularly like the buzz from. It's not bad, but for me, I don't have anything that like gives me instant anxiety. Now I will get a different buzz from a haze that I do from a heavy indica or an OG or something will do different to me than a haze, but, but I enjoy the sativas at the right time. Like, you know, late morning, early afternoon, love it. Sure. But I also can smoke what people would call a sativa and go to bed. So Yep. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, luckily one of those people whose body just accepts most of it. Likewise. Yeah. So I'll, I'll send you guys a code. Uh, I'd love for you guys to go. Yeah. Through and then, uh, you know, I would like to do it actually. I absolutely yeah. would. What, what I've been doing in the meantime is I just blend my strains. When I find one like that, I don't like, Oh, only about 10 or 20% of that goes into the joint. And what yeah. I know is good for me. It adds a nice little flavor mix to it. Yep. Good salad. So bonus question. I'll be only asked this really special guest, but we'll ask this uh, of you guys. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. And I, I know you probably, because you have the age difference, maybe it was a different room for both of you. So you can take a step. <sighs> you remember. What my room looked like growing up. I uh, I had two windows in the corner. They were like in the corner, like close to the corner. I had an old pine desk that we bought and uh, my parents bought it and we stained it ourselves. Uh I remember having a boom box that only had one speaker because that's how old I am. Didn't have the two speakers. I would wake up Saturday mornings and, and wait for the top 40 to come on so I could take a tape player and tape and make a mixtape of the songs that I wanted. Yeah. Well, um, we're probably, we're probably Casey, all around Casey the same Kasem. age. <laughs> it sounds yeah, it like, my, what, like Casey my Kasem. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Casey Kasem. Right. And when he would announce a song, I would hit record and stop right. it. And, you know, nothing special. My, my uh, at the time parents were, were pretty modest. Um, my dad was smart and he recognized that, uh, that his house, you know, back in the day when your house was your biggest investment yeah. and it made sense to, to, to invest in that he did. But, uh, now room was your typical seventies room, you yeah. know, bookcases and old radios and record players. Yeah. And, so cool. and mine would be more in the, that mid to late eighties time frame. Uh, I was a huge sports nut as a kid. So I had Michael Jordan posters all over every wall you can think of. Uh, baseball cards, football cards, uh, the original Nintendo with, with all the Super Mario Brothers games all over the place, uh, and a lot of hand-me-down toys and hand-me-down clothes and <laughs> yep. all that good stuff that the younger brother always tends to acquire. Yep. I want to say, I think my posters were like the first Lamborghini Countach and uh, Farrah Fawcett. I had, I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, Fawcett, how yeah. many Farrah Fawcett posters did people say, John, and right? And Catherine yeah. Bach from the Dukes of Hazzard. I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hazzard, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had one other one. It was Heather Thomas. Yep. Most people don't remember who that is. So I'm I like, do. 
Yeah, I, I think I had a poster of her too. I think we all I, did. I, yeah, I, I think I might have had There would be a Spencer's or something at the mall and exactly. they had all the stars posters. I think exactly. instead of the posters, mine was always the uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues because I had this subscription to Sports <laughs> right. Illustrated. So there's always that stack of the swimsuit issues somewhere. <laughs> sure. That's so funny. Well, guys, uh, where can people find out more about Beer Bros and anything that you guys are up to? Uh, where can people find you on social and websites? Um, that's, uh, yeah, our website is beardbrosfarms.com, farms mm-hmm. with a PH all together. Um, mm-hmm. Our Instagram page is beardbros underscore farms, farms with a PH again. Um, we also have uh, Facebook. We stopped kind of using it. And I'll get into why because of Sizzlet, because we kept getting banned and deleted and, yeah. and, uh, and shadow banned and even on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so they can also find us at Sizzlet, which is an app that we launched with a couple other founders. It is a non-censored cannabis and psychedelic app. We're not going to censor any content you put up. Um, the only thing we are going to censor is if you're offering to ship product to people and putting out WhatsApp numbers and right. doing things like that, that puts our app in jeopardy. Our app in jeopardy so right. we cannot allow that. But beyond that, any kind of cannabis content or mushroom or uh, psychedelic content people want to put up, we're allowing it. So you can find us there because we're trying to build a community that doesn't have to worry about their, their cannabis content. Love it. And if you're here in California, we do have a flower and our full spectrum cannabis oil available in dispensaries. Our website that Bill just mentioned, beardbrosfarms.com has a product finder website uh, feature to the website can tell you the nearest dispensary to you. We also have a high CBD cannabis derived uh, full spectrum cannabis oil about to come on the market derived from Ringo's gift strain. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for being on. It's always a pleasure and uh, hope to see you guys in person soon at some of these events and if they start starting up again. We appreciate it. And we hope to see you in person as well soon, too. Absolutely. Sure. Hope to meet you guys right, one guys. of these days. Guys, thank you. Hope thank you. you. Take care. Take care. Thank you, guys. bad i missed the one of them or the the music experiences oh it was you'll just have to listen back to your own podcast i know yeah no he he was a kind of a metallica a hardcore guy so it was um he didn't remember specifically but i mean uh, those are the kind of guys i'd be scared of if i went to a punk show what did you (laughs) what did you wear this is a motley crew oh Oh, i just dropped my dog (laughs) this is a motley crew Japan tour that is 1987. Cool. It's all wow. Japanese. That is that very kind of... cool. I wish I kept my Japanese shirts. What what kind of uh, I, I don't know, know, man. Right? Was, I mean now those yeah. are gold. Super I, cool. Yeah. I went I went to a thrift shop over the weekend and I'm like, I was just going through t-shirts and I had a Metallica t-shirt. I have that in my in my drawer. It's a hundred and ninety dollars. What? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That is crazy. I've been waiting, by the way, to, to hit that button the entire <laughs> I know, conversation. Yeah. I just, that's all I, I want to do is just hit the sad trombone button. I love the sound effects. <laughs> all right. What are we talking talk, about today? You want to talk comedians? Yeah. So, who are like, who are our favorite comedians of all time? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I didn't read some up and comedians. I, I try to find a list. I always try to find a list. And so, Rolling Stone did a list of, you know, their top comedians. I really didn't agree with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So I just did my list of my favorite comedians yeah. who I, who I really like. And yeah, up and comers uh, are welcome. I mean, I just, uh, I just, you know, it's like kind of a renaissance for stand up comedy, I think, because of like Netflix yeah. and like, yeah. if you just want to chill 
and like smoke yeah. a doobie and watch a yep. comedy show, uh, which mm-hmm. I never do. But if you did want to do that, <laughs> I just I usually do it to actually go to sleep. Um, I don't. I find stand up comedy can put me to sleep pretty easily. Uh, <laughs> no offense to stand up comics, I love the art form, but it's just kind of. I chill. love going. I I love. Oh, I love going. it. Yeah. Even the, the last New Year's, I was at a comedy club before uh, we got shut down. So that I spent my New Year's. Yeah. Twenty in a comedy. It's fun. So yeah, that's fun. That stuff. This is not in order. Like I didn't have a ranked one, two, ten, but these are. I did ten of my favorites. And then I did my honorable mentions as usual. Okay. All right. So Chris Rock. Yes. Favorite. Eddie Murphy. Love. Dave Chappelle. Love. George Carlin. No, I do. I love George Carlin. First person I ever, first famous person I ever interviewed in my career. That's cool. Yeah. I never, never got a chance to see him live. Um, Richard Pryor. Amazing. Legend. Kevin Hart. Not that familiar with his stand-up, but but uh, he's funny. Stand-up, hilarious. The last one that he did in his house, I found less funny. Yeah, that wasn't that great. I did watch that. Yeah. Well, that but was hard. One, that was hard. You had to do it with social. The whole thing about stand-up is if you have to have a crowd. I went and it's... saw Cannabis, uh, no, Hannibal Burris, the guy, who yeah, Hannibal outed, Burris, the guy yeah. who outed Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a kind of social distance. It was one of the first shows that we saw during covid and I went my, with my son in our car. We went to the Rose Bowl to watch that. Oh, and, you did the... Yeah, like yeah, in the, the parking car. lot of the Rose Bowl. And I'm telling you, comedy, when you don't have a crowd laughing, it's painful. Because, you know, if everybody's in their car, you can't hear the laughing. So it's like yeah. he would say a joke, and it would just be like, quiet. It was just... It was a... It was. <laughs> it must have been hell for him. I mean, what is the there hell? Was, There's no response. There, there was a thing on... I think it was on HBO. Uh, they did the same kind of thing. The uh, It's in your car comedy. It was on yeah. HBO. And I was watching it. And it was painful to watch just on TV even. And it was edited and everything else because you need that instantaneous energy, that response. It's like the call out when, when you're doing hip hop. Like, you know, you call out and you call back. You need that kind of uh, collaborative thing. And it's definitely missing. I, I completely agree. So yeah. hopefully they'll be, they'll be back. All right. So I have Bill Burr. I love Bill Burr. My son is super into Bill Burr. Love Bill Burr. He's, yeah. I love the biting kind of comedy. Yeah. Like. Uh, tough, tough guy. Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> I mean, he's funny. No respect. Oh, no respect. No respect. Hey. I mean, he's a classic. <laughs> he's a classic. You got to, if you watch some of his, so I went back because I was uh, trying to find some old Sam Kinison and, and Rodney By, he, brought I put up, Sam Kinison on my list. Yeah. He, he's on my yeah. list too. But uh, so he, Rodney would bring him up and he started, but Rodney's jokes were amazing. Like I just, and they hold up and they're like, they're really kind of cheesy in a way, but they're super funny if you watch. So yeah, yeah he's a comedian that other comedians like really love, you know, like, I, but he's from a different era for sure. But it, it, but holds, it, it holds up. If you, up yeah. if you, yeah, if you watch it, I, all right to me, but I mean, I can, I can um, tell you all his lines from Caddyshack, like every single one. And well, I, and it, I, and I, that's frequently my, quote one of my favorite movies of all I time. I frequently quote, comedies. yeah. I mean, I frequently quote Caddyshack and be like, I haven't had, you know, I had better stake at a ball game, you know. I mean, I, I just say that all the time. <laughs> and, I, and it, yeah, and the Bill Murray, like Kentucky Bluegrass. I, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I love that movie. All right. So I have Bernie Mac. Yeah. Bernie Mac's funny. And I have Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries is new, kind of new to the scene. That's a good one, though. He's I've funny. I've seen him. He's English, right? He's like Australian. He's Australian. Yeah. I mean, pee my pants. Yeah, he's Fucking hilarious. Great. Fantastic. I've seen him on and Netflix. Then, uh, my honorable mentions. 
uh, which are because I want to do 10, but I guess I get 15. Uh, so I can do 15. I've Wanda Sykes. Love. I'm glad we have a woman on this list. And Wanda know, Sykes, right? by the way, is amazing. She's one of my favorite comedians ever. I've Red Fox. <laughs> That's a funny one. I don't think I've listened to a Red Fox record in about 40 years. But yeah, uh, he's but uh, he is funny. And he was kind of like the original OG. Aziz Ansari. I don't find his stand up that funny. I like him, but his stand up yeah. doesn't make me laugh for some reason. I don't know. I, I went to see him live and, and he, he was, was funny. really funny. Okay. I think it's after the incident that I yeah. think he, he's he not felt as he funny. His, yeah. Well, he yeah. did a whole routine about the incident, which was uncomfortable. I know. I know, which I didn't find. Yeah. It wasn't like, funny. He, no. well, he, he was kind of angry. So it was kind of, it was awkward yeah. and hard to watch. Yeah. I know. I had Louis C.K., but I took him off. Just See, I don't I, I don't think let's just OK, let's talk about that, because I, I was thinking about that. <laughs> I have Bill Cosby in the list. Oh, well, OK. If you're going to have Bill Cosby. I mean, I think Louis C.K. is one of the funniest stand up comics I've ever seen. I you know, his comedy recently has been kind of not that great. But he before that all went down, he was hilarious. And honestly, what went down with him to me is is murky as far as like how, you know, I guess everybody has their opinion about how bad it right. was. It was certainly uncool. Um, should he have been like destroyed forever? I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a me too, um, story that I'm not sure he's no Harvey Weinstein. Let's put it that way. He did some pretty no. fucked up shit, but take Natara. Yeah, if we're going to talk about women for a minute, take Natara yeah. was funny. She's yeah. Funny. Yeah. She, I know she doesn't Absolutely. like Louis CK. Sarah. Sil so I, I like I Sarah said, I had Bill Cosby. Sarah Silverman's great. She's on my, uh, on your, she's on yeah. my honorable mention list, but like, here's the thing. So I have Sam Kinison. Would I put Sarah in, on in front of Sam? I don't, I don't know, man. Sam, at his heyday, later on, it was painful to watch. But in his heyday, oh, wait. it was hilarious. It was when happening. he was doing back to school years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That whole, that, when he, yeah, that crazy routine. That one, that one skit or whatever he was doing about the necrophiliac. Yeah. If you what, remember. I mean, that is one of the funniest things right. I've ever heard in my life. He, he was really, I mean, he was so super inappropriate and hilarious. Super I love Sam McKesson. I know he became completely crazy. And uh, my last one, besides Bill Cosby, who his stand-up, Bill was, Cosby himself was hilarious, but you know whatever. Yeah, uh, Stephen Wright. I was gonna say, if you don't have Stephen Wright, I mean, come on, he's another guy Stephen I quote Wright. all the time. Yeah, and it's funny. Right, so like, that, I don't that, say that funny. like Stephen Wright makes me like fall down on the floor and laugh when I listen to his comedy, but it's so freaking clever that it's so it, smart. It's so smart. There's a few people on there. Dana Carvey's stand-up is really funny. I don't know if you've ever heard Dana Carvey's stand-up. I, I've, yeah, I've heard Dana Carvey, I, I, and he does good, good voices. He does good and voices, and, and he does, like, some of his routines are really funny. Paula Poundstone from back in the day. I just remember I used to have a um, comic, what was that, comic relief tape. It was, you know, it was like that. Yeah. It was like a, I, they might still exist, but they would raise money for people. And there was a tape that I had that had Paula Poundstone and Dana Carvey and, a, and like, Robin Williams, whatever, but... So and Billy by the way, Crystal and yeah, Billy Crystal. And Robin Williams. Yeah. But man, Paula Poundstone's routine was so funny. It used to make me like fall on the floor and laugh. Now, there's a new guy. There's a few new guys. Well, they're not new. Okay. I mean, they're not new at all. Well, one of them is new okay. to me, but they're not is not on your list. And one of the guys, if you're, if you're not familiar with his work, I'm very excited to introduce him to you. And you got to start okay. watching his Netflix series, Tom Seguro. Oh yeah, of course. That's a, he's he's Bert Kreischer's best friend. That's the he broke his whole body when they were doing the the slam contest. I, Tom I mean, Segura he does super. Tom Segura does a whole thing about seeing Big Daddy Kane that is yep. like totally our kind of humor that is hilarious. Absolutely, he's hey, hilarious. Yeah, he's hilarious, and he makes yeah, me laugh. Some of those guys, just, like he makes me laugh out loud. And then there's like this new guy who is like would be the last person in the world that I would think 
I would think is funny. And yet this guy, Nate, he's got a Netflix thing now, Tennessee's from Tennessee, Bargats. And he's got, you'll <laughs> see that he has a ton of Netflix specials. This guy makes me laugh fucking out loud. He's hilarious. His timing, he's like very clean. It's like he doesn't do dirty yeah. stuff, but he is funny. Like he's like, he's good. I got to yeah. check him out. It's, Nate it's the same thing like, like there was more that I could have fit in the list, oh, yeah. list, but I try to keep it like Russell Peters. I find really funny. Right. He so, can be but, funny. Yeah. yeah. I was hugely influenced by early Steve Martin records and just, oh, yeah. it, that was an Love impressionable age when I was, you know, whatever I'm 11, 12 years old. And he was putting out a lot of records and I just thought he was the funniest freaking. Now, he's so different now than he used to be, but his early comedy stuff. You're I, right. I'd I should have had him. Steve Martin. He's on one of my favorites. And right. even if we're going to talk about controversial comics, like Woody Allen was kind of funny as a stand-up. <laughs> he had some really funny routines that I used to love. He's he's on my honorable. I kind of I know he's he's dicey, but you know that was well probably during the whole time that he amazing, amazing, and his movies and all that stuff. And we, we can talk about our favorite comedies of all time. We can do that on our next show. But Woody Allen movies definitely make that list for me. Yeah, I mean, there's just some that are so inappropriate, like. Uh, Manhattan story. I, I, you know, yeah. When you start looking, I at, love bananas. I, I mean, love I love those silly ones, like everything you ever need to know about sex. And yeah. And, um, I'm afraid to ask. Yeah. That was really funny. And, and Annie Hall is really funny. The, the Woody Allen thing. I don't know if we have talked about that on the show. Yep. That's one's yep. hard for me because again, I don't know. I love his, his movies so much. I'm at least a, a lot of his early movies and it's just like, yeah. but he's also kind of a creep. And so whatever, if you believe, if you believe the story, which I do, but I've gotten to a lot of arguments with people who don't. So I don't, you know, well, whatever. But here, here's the thing. So, okay. If we're going to look at the characters of people, you have Bill Cosby, who's right. obviously like, there's nothing for us to say. He's in, he's in jail. He's right. got convicted of, you know, I, I don't remember what the conviction was exactly for. I would say sexual rape. assault. Yeah, what did he go was it rape? Assault? He did, yeah, rape, roofing. I don't know. I don't know. No, I know, but I don't know what the conviction was. I know right. he was roofing people with quaaludes, and I, I think it was, uh, let's say, just sexual assault because I don't remember what it is. If I'm wrong, you know, uh, call me out. But then you have people like Sam Kinison, who were abusive as can be to the people around them, right? Uh, to you know himself, super, super inappropriate. Uh, he had these sisters and. Like all the shit that he used to do, never got convicted of it. Does it does it mean that he's a good person? I don't know. I'm not here to judge. I mean, that's the him. thing. It's so it's just he's funny. subjective. He was right? funny because if you really went and dug in some of the your idols' past, you probably could find some pretty fucked up stuff going on, right? So, and I'm sure a lot of musical people that we like were really terrible people. Um, Kevin Hart got called out for that shit, but he yeah, uh, well he yeah, well he said he said something sort of. Yeah, because he said something sort of um, homophobic. But that, I can't, yeah. you know, that's just, I don't know. That stuff is, that's the, the kind of cancel culture stuff that I can't stand. But uh, Kevin Hart, I think Kevin Hart's apologized, you know, whatever. Like, I, he wasn't, whatever. I'm not going to not I, listen to his records or go to his movies anymore. No, man, I don't I don't even get, look, there's a fine, to me, once again, I, I know I'm going to get, political correctness is really odd to me. I don't really understand a lot of that stuff because if somebody tells me they're offended, I'm going to listen. But I don't really understand where the line is because I'm having a conversation with people uh, normally as they are. But but this whole thing of you got to watch what you say, thinking that something you normally would have in a conversation with a person, it's sort of uh, 
teeters over to a little bit over correctness, right? Oh, yeah. And there's a big difference between somebody like a Harvey Weinstein, I can just because he's convicted, somebody like that, and a Louis C.K. or Aziz Ansari or somebody else that got called out, Matt Lauer versus whoever else, or versus Kevin Hart, who happened to say something on Twitter right. 10 years ago. You know, that kind of thing. And, it, and it, everybody's lumped together in this one category. And there's no, there's no forgiveness. Like you can't, some of the things are unforgivable and these people are in jail, but other things like maybe it's something they said. Like I felt bad for this woman, the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. I think she's like 28 years old and she was all excited and it was this black woman, really smart. And somebody found a tweet that she had done when she was like 14 or something, you know, where she, she made some sort of homophobic remark and she had to resign from her position. She hadn't even started yet. And it was like- yeah. That's just not fair. I mean, she should be able to say she was sorry. She was 14 years old. She said, made a stupid mistake and move on. But it's like, you know, she had to go. So I do think there's lines, there's levels. And I don't think this sort of social shaming of people is really gotten out of control. And I also feel like it's the kind of thing that's getting Donald Trump elected because it makes people crazy, right? Everybody. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the polarity of the whole yeah. situation. I think I mentioned before in the show that I had an experience with somebody who was uh, who made some anti-Semitic comments mm -hmm. uh, before, and uh, the person like they were cut off and cut out. And for me, I was like, "Well, fuck, man! I want to use this as an opportunity, right? Right? Like this is to me is an opportunity, and that's why I wanted to separate Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, people that got convicted of doing heinous things. We know that for a fact. It's not the same." If somebody says something, like Kevin Hart said something, I would love the uh, LBGTQ community, if that was the case, to sort of use him as a vehicle for education yeah. instead of smacking him in the smacking face. Smacking him and then just, just yeah, like it, does, it doesn't do good for anybody. Like nobody, for what? like why? So a few people on Twitter can feel good about themselves and give themselves points for, there just doesn't seem to be any lessons learned for anybody and it seems like it's just like once you're once you're canceled that's it like you're never allowed to resurface now empathy forgiveness empathy I mean, forgiveness where, where is that like, where stuff is that i don't stuff? get it and the learning and anyway i think it's a phase that we're going through in this country i mean we've it's always been there by the way there was this thing called pc before there was cancel culture and it yeah. was like politically incorrect and it's what we used to say in college i mean i so that's you know for me you know a few decades ago it's always been there. I think it's just yeah. amplified because there's the internet now, and you can you can if you get attacked on Twitter, uh, it's different than you know back in 20 years ago when maybe you know a few you know you wouldn't get that kind of hate and that kind of piling on. There just wouldn't there yeah. wasn't a vehicle. So it's just changed because of social media. But it's always been there that kind of that kind of sanctimonious or self righteous. Yeah stuff so anyway we'll probably get canceled after this episode so it's good knowing you and uh okay. i just i need, I need gonna use that sound effect. i mean cancel for waiting. what we're gonna lose our sponsors we're gonna use, yeah we're gonna lose our sponsor sorry um yeah flower uh, garden come on board yeah flower coat i know garden, those dudes. king's garden maven all you guys yeah come on board. i know those dudes we should definitely you gotta you gotta hashtag those guys next time i know we have I a linkedin for me i'm gonna give you a little bit of a setup for this okay. okay i think i mentioned before in a couple of shows that like i've been starting getting into british rap yeah you're There's really into it all these different categories of british rap and hip-hop and have you ever heard of grime 
No. G R I M E. No, it's I like found grunge. grunge. It's the next. It's the next phase of grunge. There was grunge, and then there's grime. <laughs> right? Yeah, grime is. Yeah, like, you're first in grungy, but now yeah, you're super now grimy. It's, yeah, it's the evolution. <laughs> well, so grime is in, and I'm going to try to use my British accent, which is fantastic, <laughs> by the way. It's garage. Garage. Uh, you know the yeah. the garage. Yeah. So the music garage music. I love garage, and what they did was they basically took hip hop and married that to garage oh. and then you have grime and this guy first all, i love this video i'm gonna let it play for a little bit and you know if we have to edit it and we'll edit it but i want you to see the video because there's a transition and it's a funny video and i love this when i drive i was driving my daughter last night and she liked it we cranked it up and we were kind of dancing in the car to this so all right here we go let's do it did you share it? Turn the bass up. Turn the bass up. Yeah. Yeah. Big, dirty, stinking bass. Dirty, stinking bass. Big, dirty, stinking bass. Dirty, dirty, stinking big. Dirty, stinking bass. Dirty, stinking bass. Big, dirty, stinking bass. Bass, 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 bass. I don't need no speed. No. I don't need no heroin. I don't want no coke. You can keep your ketamine. Yeah. I'm a baseline junkie. What? I'm a baseline junkie. Tell him again. I'm a baseline junkie. And I like it funky. What the fuck? What are you doing? What? Who touch it? Who told you to touch it? I will fucking kill you. Don't ever touch that fucking shit again. <laughs> I'm a fiend for a big dirty baseline. When I hear one, I have a great time. A bit of butter men's all I require. I let the baseline take me higher. My friends think that it's a bad habit. But I'm just like, fuck you, damn it. If you take my bass away, I'll blow your fucking face away. You might think I'm over the top. But when I hear that baseline drop, well, I just can't control my actions. But I still feel satisfaction. So don't come around here whinging. I just want to hear the baseline rinsing. Or we could just skank out all day. If not, get the fuck out my way. All right. It's dope. I liked it. He's good. You're gonna, I'm going to go down. Video. Is that called grime or that's garage? Garage. Grime. Grime. That's grime. It's grime. Yeah. So they take the garage beat and they put lyrics on top of it. So they're, they're calling it grime. So this is Dizzy Rascal. He's one of the originators of grime. And he came from the garage scene. And that was is called Baseline Junkie. And maybe next time I will play the new the brand new 2021 version of what grime is today okay i'm gonna play a song you might have heard this song but here we go with a body length of about 20 centimeters bullfrogs are the largest frogs in north america as well as the champion jumpers bull-legged larry was a frog at the pond jump so high might miss him while he gone Jump over anything, even King Kong. Jumping Jack Flash was his favorite song. Now once upon a time there was a cat in a tree. Chased the squirrel up, been stuck since three. The fireman came, said it's too high for me. How's that cat gonna ever get free? Young Jack Turner was a staple on the block. Said he knew about a frog with an XL hot. The neighbor started laughing, but Jackie wouldn't stop. Ran off, came back, guess who we got? Well, it was long-legged Larry Rocket to the moon through a cumulus cloud. Touchdown safe, later scaredy cat on the ground. If you listen real close, you can still hear the crowd. Go Larry, go Larry, go, 
Do you know that guy? Long yeah, legged he doesn't Larry. Care. Really Jump cute. so high, grow a beard right. in the air. Jump over any. Pretty cute video. What do you think? I love it. Yeah, um, it's great. Yeah, man. Aesop, I love that song. Yeah, Aesop Rock, Long Legged Larry. Um, I I love this guy. My son. <clears> it's Aesop Rock, not Aesop Rocky. I know that's very sure confusing. It's... And Aesop Rocky and Aesop Rock are actually quite different. Yes. And <laughs> that is true. <laughs> they really are. Were you familiar with Aesop Rock? Did your did, did your I, daughter I turn know, you on this song? I I know this song. Yes. You did know this song. This song Okay, that's cool. It's because we have kids that are basically the same age and and are very cool, and so they play us everything. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I do uh, besides that. I also try to stay relevant by listening to uh, um, Spotify. They have the New Music Friday. Oh, okay. So I listen every single Friday. I listen to New Music Friday so and try to see what's coming out. And I can tell you that out of the 50 songs that are released, there maybe is one or two that is listenable. Like. I have no idea what's going on with music these days. I don't want to be like, oh, back in the day. You I know, know. Uh, a lot of it is terrible. Stuff. That's why I need my oh, son to, to, to filter through it for me. And he still plays me things that I absolutely hate. But every so often, he'll, he'll be like, Dad, I think you're going to like this. And he'll put something on. I'm like, I do well, like a, that. There is a Justin Bieber song that my daughter played me besides that Peach song. Uh, it's called Freedom. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, it's pretty damn good. Yeah. No, and there's there's this new artist. Does your sister, does your daughter love um, uh, Billie Eilish? Oh yeah. There's new this new tonight. artist mix the uh, she does laundry that song laundry, and what's her name Miss 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 Oh God, we're gonna come back next week. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Wah, wah. Yeah, hold on a second here. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll have to. Can you cut that part out, Tommy? It's just so embarrassing. I can't even leave remember. it in. It's it. Leave it in. It's a it's oh God. It's a. Anyway, she's gonna be so mad at me because it, it was. It's such a good song, and this artist is. She's like the new thing, and my. I feel like my daughter has discovered this this new kind of the next Billie Eilish, and uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about her. She's not yeah, like getting my, a lot of main play yet, but she's she's a new Billie Eilish. Maybe because my daughter's super into like singer songwriter. Like she probably all knows that her. Kind she's of Asian. Sing with an M. Anyway, and you know what's gonna happen? She's gonna become really famous, and we're gonna look, listen back on this and be like, I can't even, couldn't even freaking say her name. Remember her name? Now you, now yeah, she's like, now you remember. But remember, you, you heard her name here first <laughs> on this show. Everything is personal. Yeah, and the name was. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't know what the her name was. Stuttering John, they call me Stuttering John. There was already a stuttering. I know. Damn it! It could have been. It could have been. It could have been my name. Oh, man. All right. Well, cool. another fun podcast. Everything is personal. Keep it personal. Yep. Glenn, it's been a pleasure as always. As always. Peace. All right. Peace. Everything is personal.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.